The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Mackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Presenting Season 5, Waiting On. This is a bonus season that falls between the written books 2 and 3 and is only available via our free podcast. As always, thank you to our beloved fans and loyal listeners. And now, we begin. The Journal of John Murdoch, Part 2, written by Mercedes Lackey and Cody Martin. Retrieval, Subject 371, Project Metamorphosis, John Murdoch, Status, Failure, Subject, Subject Neutralized Agents and Escaped, New Mexico. John was lost in the desert, somewhere in New Mexico. He had no supplies, no water, and didn't know how far away from civilization he was. His clothes were tattered and burned. It was nighttime, and the temperature had plunged as soon as the sun went down. He was trained to survive in extreme situations, but between the drugs coursing through his system and the state of shock he was in, he could hardly think. I think I might die out here. <laughs> That's a laugh. Get away and turn into buzzard food. The invisible man in the sky has a hell of a sense of humor for someone who doesn't exist. If I do die, at least I won't do it at the hands of those murdering bastards. John felt the bile rise in his throat, dizzied by the sudden flare of emotion. After what seemed like hours, the sensation passed. Everything was blurring together. The chattering of his teeth, the pain in his shoeless and bleeding feet, even the cuts and burns that covered most of his exposed skin. There was a moon. A full moon. It rose, fat and cold, over the mountains. It stared blankly down on him, as indifferent as the eyes of those doctors that had done such terrible things to him, to all of them. More blurred time. The moon was higher, and he heard the sound of a motor, an engine. The crazy impulse surged through him to bash his head out on a rock, to immolate himself, to do anything to kill himself. Suicide was a better option than being taken back, and they would surely want him back. He was too expensive to just let die. After what he'd done? More than ever. He was too tired to fight and too tired to try to kill himself. Instead, he just collapsed onto his hands and knees, silhouetted by the sudden flash of a vehicle's headlights. He expected to hear barked orders, see the glint of moonlight or the glaring headlights off the barrels of weapons. Instead, he heard a stream of profanity. Then, Buddy, are you from Alpha Centauri? John craned his head upwards with an effort to see the driver. It was a man, late fifties to early sixties. He had a crazy beard with hair flowing out from a straw hat all the way down to his shoulders. A Hawaiian shirt, cargo shorts, and sandals completed the picture. Oh, man. You look like hell. What'd they do to you? They been interrogating you? Torturing you? 
something like that, was all that John could manage to croak out. He lifted a hand up towards the driver. The fellow grasped it, then took him by the elbow and helped him to his feet. We gotta get you out of here. The MIBs will be here any minute. Don't you worry. I won't let them take you back. The man half carried John to the passenger side of the vehicle. It was an old Jeep and, despite its age, was in fairly good condition with almost no rust. You know, you're lucky I found you when I did. This desert can swallow people whole, especially this far out. Only reason why I came around this part was the big fire to the east. Big old jets of fire, huge columns of it shooting up into the sky like volcanoes erupting. Was that you? John shook his head wearily, pointing to a canteen on the dash. I don't know what it was. I just remember guys in suits and them taking me somewhere. The man handed him the canteen without a moment of hesitation. It's electrolyte solution. You probably need it. Black suits and black shades, right? What'd they pick you up for? John drank greedily from the canteen, gasping for breath long enough to say, My good looks. The man cackled and shoved the four-by in gear. He turned off the headlights. You must have seen something. You foe? Landing? Close encounter? Third kind? Lizard men? Or, or the greys? You gotta watch them greys, man. The lizard men only dissect you. The greys, they got probes. I don't know the why, pal. Just that I don't want to go back. John did his best to keep his seat as the jeep rolled over the bumps and rocks. What's your name? We don't use names, man. Safer. You can call me Sandman. Right. I owe you, Sandman. I was as good as dead out here. You ain't lying. MIBs count on the desert to kill anything that tries to get close or get away. You gotta have good survival training to be out here. Well, in my condition, I don't think there's much the training could have done. He shook his head, then changed the subject. Where are we headed? Anywhere but here is good enough for right now, but I'm the curious sort. His wits were starting to come back to him now that he had hydrated and was at least momentarily safe. You done with that canteen? There's another under your seat and a baggie full of meal bars. We're heading for Albuquerque, but I'm going to drop you at the edge. Well, well, first we're going to make a stop where the black helicopters can't spot us. I'm going to get the kit, and you're going to patch yourself up and take a spare shirt and pair of pants uh, and shoes. Then I'm going to loan you one of my spare bikes, and you can pedal your way into town. You're a saint, Sandman. I don't know how I can repay you. In fact, you helping me might have been the start of some trouble for you. The worst kind. Sandman cackled again. Put your hand on the outside of the jeep door. John did. The surface felt odd. Stealth paint. 
I don't show up on radar, man. It's truth. Mighty Wing's got a Corvette he stuffed with the stuff. He makes runs at 110, and the cops never tag him. And I ain't gonna say nothing about this on the net, man. Two peeps can share a secret, three, and it ain't a secret no more. Right? Sandman cast him a sly look. You're my secret. I helped one of the MIB's prisoners. I've been open for something like this for 20 years. His grin showed white in the moonlight. For the first time in what felt like years, John smiled and then slept. He woke only briefly when the Sandman stopped somewhere dark and gave him old, clean clothing and loaded a bicycle into the back. Then he slept again. It felt like John slept for years, entirely too long and not long enough at the same time. The only thing he saw was fire and blood in his dreams. He woke to Sandman shaking him awake. Okay, brother, I took the route round Robin Hood's barn just, you know, to be sure. We were south of ABQ, in case you didn't know. I went west and north and around, and we're on the south side of 40 right now on Central. He cackled a little. They call this the War Zone. You can probably tell. Tattoo parlor, Vietnamese restaurant, pawn shop, beauty parlor, all in the same tiny strip mall, all burglar grilled except for the tattoo parlor, which was open. Gas station with bars on the cash box. Burger joint, taco joint, Mexican grocery, all closed at this late an hour, all with cages. I can drop you about anywhere along here with the bike. You can bike straight up central to the uni and get public transport there. This is pretty close to where I need to be. I still can't tell you how much I owe you, Sandman. You're doing me a solid. John looked at the bike in the back seat. Don't think I'll have a chance to get your bike back to you, unfortunately. I get him cheap at cop auctions. There's always another 20-buck bike out there. Sandman shrugged. Well, let's pull off into an alley. Better if I get out that way than out here in the open. Sandman took a right at the next corner and pulled into... Well, it wasn't an alley. It appeared that Albuquerque didn't exactly have alleys, but it was behind another strip mall where dumpsters were lined up, smelling of things best forgotten. Here's as good as it gets, brother, Sandman said, a little wistfully. Kind of wish you could tell me more, but hey, probable deniability, right? Safer this way, compadre. John hefted the bicycle out of the back of the vehicle, then held his hand out to Sandman. Time for me to go. Sandman shook it heartily. He had a good handshake. Safe journeys, brother. I like that. Safe journeys to you too, Sandman. John grinned lopsidedly. He wished that he could do more to show his appreciation, but time was against them both. Sandman reached into his back pocket and stuffed something into the breast pocket of the vest John was wearing. Stopped on the way. You were out and didn't wake up. Figure you can use this. Without waiting for an answer, he waved, gunned the engine, and drove off. 
John reached into his pocket and was surprised to find a wad of hundreds in his hand. There was a small bit of metal sandwiched in the cash about as big as a large button. It was a scorched and tarnished badge in the shape of a star, red, with a golden hammer and sickle in the middle. Now what in the hell would he give me this for? It didn't take long for John to pedal to where he'd rented a long-term storage shed. Inside were everything that he'd need to get clear of the trouble that he was in. Forged documents, extra cash, disguises, some basic necessities, and an unregistered pistol. He'd paid for the rental for several years in advance, in cash up front, with a few extra bills slipped to the manager to make sure that things weren't disturbed. In this part of town, that wasn't that unusual. After doing what John had done the past few years, he'd learned that being prepared was a reward in of itself. Readying everything into a single backpack, John closed and locked the shed for a final time. Time for the hard part. Getting away. The thing about a university is that an abandoned bicycle will get snatched up before the seat has a chance to get cold, and the public transportation will generally take you to the train station if there is one, and the bus depot. Since universities are full of students who know nothing about an area, the public transportation stops are generally plastered with route maps. John sat in the back of the bus and tried to look as relaxed as possible. He was still partially dehydrated, burnt and cut worse than a piece of roadkill, and coming off of a laundry list of drugs that the doctors had pumped into him. He was a bundle of nerves, but he did his best to appear disinterested in everything. There were maybe eight people on this thing, and most of them looked almost as beat up as he did. The only two who didn't were a couple of teenagers more concerned with eating each other's faces than anything around them. Despite everything... John almost allowed himself to feel good again. Just being around people, normal people, after what he'd been through. He shook himself out of it. The bus was approaching the train station stop. No one else was getting off at the stop with him. He shrugged on his backpack and pulled his cap lower over his eyes. Taking a deep breath, he made his way off the bus and into the main building. The building had a vaguely Pueblo vibe, like many public buildings in this part of the country. The inside was institutionally clean, but still had the rundown feeling of a place that no one wanted to spend too much time in. John located the ticket counter and paid for the earliest train that would take him to Kansas. It was scheduled to leave in about two hours. He'd worked out his grand escape on the bus ride over. He'd get into Kansas on the train. From there, he'd either hitchhike into Oklahoma or just stow away on a semi going in the right direction. Same would go for Texas after Oklahoma. From there, John would cross the border into Mexico and do his best to disappear into South America after that. If anyone was looking for him, they'd figure he'd take the direct route, bus straight down to Las Cruces and from there to Juarez. Juarez really was a war zone and it would be easy for him to get lost there, so... If there was pursuit, his picture would be all over the border guard post by then. The more twists and turns he could put between himself and any pursuit, the better. After purchasing his ticket, John found a dark corner seat in the waiting room, 
all the seats next to it were either broken or covered in vomit. Luckily, the original owner of the vomit had probably already been shuffled off. John kept his head low, but made sure that he kept his eyes on everyone. It wasn't very hard. This early in the morning, there were few people occupying the terminal. Just some custodial staff and a couple of fellow transients. John wanted nothing more than to sleep again, but he was still too keyed up. One thing he did need, though, was water. Lots of it. He spent his time waiting by getting water from a machine and then filling the empty bottle at a nearby water fountain. No telling when he'd get a chance to rehydrate again. That's where everything went to hell. Hey, buddy. John turned slowly. There was a transit cop standing behind him. Look, buddy, I've been watching you for a while. You've probably drunk close to half a gallon of water. The cop actually looked concerned. That's not good, you know. Honestly, I'm fine, officer. If it's all right with you, I'm just going to sit and rest for a while until my train comes in. John made a show of holding his ticket up, slowly. Transit cops at terminals spent a lot of time clearing out the drunks and the homeless that would take up space trying to sleep under a roof. But the cop was shaking his head. Look, you obviously aren't from around here. You're probably sick and don't know it. Heat exhaustion, swine flu, diabetes... All those things will make you drink like that, and the last thing I need is to have to clear you out when you have a seizure or pass out or start vomiting like the exorcist. Look, come with me to the aid station and we can get you checked out. There's plenty of time before the train. If you're okay, no blood, no foul, and if you're not, we find out before you become a problem. John was stuck. If he argued with the cop and made an issue of it, the cop would force the issue. If he ran, he would need to find a new way to get clear of New Mexico. And he certainly was not at the point where he'd kill a cop in cold blood just to save his own hide. All right, officer, if you say so. The cop kept up a running monologue about some college kids who'd gotten heat stroke and put the whole station into an uproar. John really wasn't listening. He was trying to keep track of where possible exits were. His eyes were darting to cameras, exits, obstacles, anything that could be used as a distraction or a weapon. All righty, here we are. I'm just going to finish a quick check at the front desk, and then we'll get you sorted out. Just sit tight in here for a few minutes. The cop smiled, showing John to a seat in front of his desk. John sat quietly, running over his options mentally, looking for a different one. He could still slip out quiet-like if he did it now. Four of them came into the room at once, from both doors. They slowly walked in, locking the doors behind them. Four men in identical black suits and sunglasses, all of them in their mid-thirties. Walking clichés. Sandman would die to see these guys. John immediately tensed, but stayed seated. The men were all very casual in approaching him, self-assured. God damn it, how the hell did they find me so quickly? 
John was the first to speak. So? So, John, you left quite a mess, you know. Some very important people spent a lot of time and money on you and the others, and now most of that has gone up in flames. Literally. It was the shortest of the four men that spoke, a redhead with a severe jaw. He chuckled to himself. You're going to come back with us. You suddenly became much more valuable with the destruction of the facility. More than valuable enough to overlook everything that happened back there. And, as they say, the program must go on. I don't want any part of it. Not anymore. I'm done, goddammit. John stood out of his chair, backing up to the wall. Three of the suits thrust a hand into their jackets, obviously going for pistols. The redhead was the only one that didn't, instead motioning for the others to hold off. It don't matter what you offer me. It ain't enough, and it ain't ever gonna be enough. John, you're talking like you have some choice in the matter. You most assuredly don't. Despite your recent changes, you can't kill all of us before we kill you. He walked over in front of John until his face was mere inches in front of his. I've read your dossier. You're good, or... You were. Losing it over a skirt? You've lost that edge, that focus. Besides, even if you were still good, I don't think you have it in you to kill us. That same self-assured smirk. John leaned forward the barest few centimeters, his face betraying no emotion. I just escaped from the facility. To do that, I had to kill several hundred people, while tied to a table, waiting to be executed. And right now, I don't have a goddamn thing to lose but my life, which you're gonna have one way or the other. Do you really think I don't have what it takes to end you? The redhead's expression broke, and John saw the man's eyes go wide as he fully appreciated the situation. There was still a chance, still a chance that these goons would back down. But then he saw the redhead reach for his pistol, and all bets were off. John immediately clamped his hand around the bulge in the redhead's jacket. John squeezed, hard, and the weapon fired. The round passed through the suit jacket and hit one of the government goons, wounding him. John had been unconsciously breathing quickly as soon as the suits came into the office. He felt as if his body was a tuning fork that had just been struck the right way. Putting all of his might into it, John shoved the redhead away from him. Somehow he flung the man far too quickly into one of the suits behind him. They both violently crumpled into a heap as they crashed into and dented a large metal filing cabinet, sending papers flying. John and the others were momentarily stunned, and John could practically hear his whole body humming. It was the closest he'd ever had to being high on something like coke or meth, like being drunk but with everything operating with full clarity and at high speed. Amped up. Jesus, 
These enhancements are more than the docs ever promised. The other two suits reacted before John had snapped out of his gaze. One ran towards him with a blackjack raised. It looked like he was moving a little slower than he should have been. John quickly raised his left arm to block the overhand strike, but his timing was off. He moved too fast and was out of position when the blow landed. John was staggering backwards, and his opponent pressed his advantage, raining blows on John's head and shoulders. Every counter John tried, he overextended himself, punching or kicking too hard, blocking too fast and too early, which basically amounted to him missing the block every time. John's left eye had closed up, and he could feel blood flowing freely from his scalp. He was backed up against the wall, and the suit that had been shot had joined in trying to subdue him. John roared and grabbed the blackjack wielder in a tackle suddenly and carried him into the opposite wall. Somewhere in the back of his mind, he noticed that the cinderblock wall of the office cracked and deformed when they impacted. John started pounding the man's midsection, still shouting. He immediately stopped both after looking up to see the man's vacant eyes. The back of his head was flat, and blood was spattered all over the wall around it. John gasped, stepping back and away from the body. It slid messily to the floor. The injured suit behind him got his attention, shocking him back to the present out of his self-horror. Bastard! He raised a pistol at John, leveling it with his chest. Moving faster than he knew he could, John was upon the suit almost instantly. He spun the man around and then twisted his pistol arm behind his back, jamming the gun into his spine. There were popping and snapping sounds as sinew and bone gave way to John's brute strength. The man started... Well, it wasn't screaming. Exactly, it was more like a high-pitched whine through clenched teeth. I've already killed one. First one's expensive, the rest are cheap. Screw it. John forced the man to fire the pistol repeatedly, emptying the magazine. Since the muzzle was pressed deeply into the man's back, the shots were muffled. The redhead made the mistake of getting up, instead of playing dead. The suit he had landed on didn't need to play. He was most certainly dead, neck broken by the impact. You. Asshole. Redhead was cradling a broken left arm, his pistol still in his right hand. We gave you a way back in. You could have been made, helped us to stay on top, but you threw it away. Any one of us would have killed to have the opportunity you had to be what you've become. He then swung the pistol towards John. Still moving with blinding speed, John drew his 1911 from his waistband, lined the front sight up with the redhead's chest, and fired four times in rapid succession. The man crumpled, whimpering, without ever getting a shot off. John slowly walked over to the man, picking up and shouldering his backpack. You wanted to be like me? Wish granted, shithead. Now we're both dead men. John fired the pistol a final time at the man's face, finishing him. He reholstered the pistol in his waistband, moving the jacket to cover the exposed grip. Is this what it's going to be like? Is this what I have to do? 
this what I might become? No time for that shit now. John heard and felt the suit with the broken neck get up. Slowly he turned around. The man's neck was still at an odd angle, that is, until he used his hands and snapped it back into place with a sickening pop. What? You thought they'd only send chumps to bring one of us back? The man didn't wait for a reply. He simply charged, wordlessly and without expression, moving just as fast as John could. John caught him just in time, locking his hands onto the man's shoulders. They were equally matched for strength and speed. John brought his knee up between them and then flexed his leg as hard as he could. The man was kicked out less than a foot. Damn, he was strong. But it was enough to break the grip that they had on each other. Time slowed down for John again. He's like me. That's what they want from me. Some sort of obedient Frankensteinian bastard. Everything that John had been through in the last two days blurred through his mind in a tumble of jumbled images, all out of sequence. The training, the fighting, the running, the drugs, his escape. Her. All the rage came swimming back to the surface, surging through him, overwhelming him. He didn't notice the fire forming in his hands, crawling up his arms and shoulders. He was still too amped up from his enhancements, from all of the fighting. He saw the man through a red haze, someone not unlike him. That only made him hate the suit even more, their similarities. John screamed once and reached for the man. He knew he wanted the bastard dead, but didn't know how he was going to make it happen. The wanting was all it took, though. A giant stream of fire erupted from John's hand. It engulfed the man, fanning over him and splaying him against the wall behind him. Before John could even think to stop, the entire room was on fire. The man was a charred cinder on the ground, still twitching. The enhancements. They seemed to make it harder for John to control himself when he was amped up. The scene around him resembled the facility far too much for his liking. I need to get out of here. Less than two minutes had passed since the men had walked into the room. It felt like a lifetime. John opened the door that he had first entered to get into the office and came face to face with the transit cop. John was faster on the draw, however. More practice and more opportunity to put that practice to use. He had a bead on the cop's center of mass before the cop had even cleared his holster. Behind him, the office was on fire, flames licking across the ceiling tiles. John slowly raised his aim from the cop's chest to his forehead. Just let me go. This isn't a great day for either of us, right? They both had to choose. John desperately did not want to shoot. This wasn't some program goon, this was just a regular Joe, an honest cop. The guy wasn't in on the score. Hell, he had wanted to help him. But right now, he was an obstacle. The cop had to choose between a dangerous man and the fire behind him. He couldn't deal with both, and if he chose wrong, he might end up dead and able to deal with neither.
The fire alarms went off, and so did the sprinkler system, which didn't seem to be doing anything to the fire in the office. So? What's your call? You're decent. You tried to help an asshole like me, and that's a lot more than most would have thought about doing. I'm just trying to get clear. You could still see that there were bodies in the office, even through the flames. The cop's eyes widened, shocked. Had he known the goons were in there? John had the feeling that he hadn't. Trust me, he added impulsively. This was way, way past your pay grade. There was another of those moments where time got slower or John got faster and he could practically see the thoughts flashing behind the cop's eyes. Then the man reached out with an empty open hand. John kept from reacting. The cop grabbed his shoulder and pulled him into the corridor, then shoved him towards the exit. Get! And grab anybody you run into and get them out too! John nodded. There wasn't anything that he could say. He'd had two decent people go above and beyond to help him in less than a day. There just weren't words for something like that. So, without another word, John disappeared into the station and out, pulling a couple random strangers who were reacting to the alarm with bewilderment out with him. It looked like he'd have to find another way out of town. Yo, daydreamer! Vicky's voice in his ear kicked him out of his memory. I've got incoming CCCP in less than an hour. Uh, just to remind you, one of them's the bear. I have a food delivery service showing at your door in 15, those in 30. John shook his head to clear it. Christ, I'm not sure that there's enough vodka in this dry little town. Not to mention Chef Boyardee. He thought for a moment. If you can get some diesel and noodles with ketchup delivered, I think it'll suffice. I'm not sure old Pavel could tell the difference twixt any of them. Vicky chuckled. How if I know, but you're the one that's going to have to stow the case of cans. John sobered. Hey. Vic? Roger. You know everything in that file. And I suppose any other files you've dug up on me. Are we still cool? This overwatch only works if we're both in on it, after all. Vicky's voice softened. Cool as a cucumber, Bonehead. It's not just what's in your file. It's what you are. And what am I? John's voice had the barest hint of pain in it, longing to be understood. Save for Sarah, no one knew him the way Vic did. A hell of a man, and my friend. The guy I trust at my back. More the guy I trust at Bell's. Now, get ready for incoming food and commies, in that order. Roger Dodger. And, uh, thanks, Vic. 
he heard unaccustomed warmth in her voice. Donata, big guy. There was a buzz of a doorbell at the door of the unit. Huh, early. Twenty-buck tip. Don't be a cheapskate. Oh, don't worry. This is coming out of the operational budget. Just another thing for Nat to yell at me for. I'm pretty sure she has a list by now. Vicky laughed in his ear all the way to the door. You have been listening to The Secret World Chronicle, Season 5. This podcast is voiced and produced by Veronica Chiguerre and is made possible through the amazing people at patiobooks.com. Music is Exciting Trailer by the equally exciting Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. To keep up with podcasts and news about the Secret World Chronicle series published by Bayon Books, follow us on Facebook or at www.secretworldchronicle.com.